Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on the 17th of February and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine Neal. Hello. Phil Lee. Hello. And Jane Fairs. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording today. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and, of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add you to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So, let's start this week, as we always do, with the telephone numbers, which Phil's going to read for us. Right, we start with Wilds Lane, which is 01905 Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency is 101 and NHS Direct is 111. Out-of-hours medical assistance is 0300 123 3211 and that's between 6 o'clock and 8pm. Crime Stoppers is 0800 treble 5 treble 1. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council's Here to Help service is 01905 768053 and you select option 3. Community Risk Team, that's the fire safety outfit, is 0800 032 1155. The Domestic Abuse Helpline is 0800 980 3331. Sense Adventures, that's Walking for the Visually Impaired, contact D. Jones on 01684 891 297 or 07920 or you can get her on www.senseadventures.co.uk and that's all lowercase. The Samaritans are 116123. Worcester Live is 01905 and Malvern Theatres finally is 01684892277. Thanks, Phil. Right, on to what is on at those theatres, and let's start with a bit of comedy. If you are a fan of Morecambe and Wise, you won't want to miss this show that's come straight from the West End. Eric and Urn is a brilliant homage to the two comedians and is taking place at the Swan Theatre on Sunday, the 27th of February, at 7.30pm. 
Highly acclaimed for their portrayal of the legendary comedy duo, talented actors Ian Ashbuttle and Jonty Stevens deliver a wonderful evening of entertainment suitable for all the family. For more details, contact the box office on 01905 611 427. For those interested in pop and rock music, the Retro Rock Show is taking place also at the Swan Theatre on Friday the 25th of February, start time 7.30pm. It's described as a live two-hour extravaganza of the greatest rock songs and power ballads of the 70s, 80s and 90s. Tickets are priced at £21.50 and if you want any more details or tickets, contact that same box office number 611427. If classical music is more your thing, then you need to make a date at the Swan for the night before. So that's Thursday the 24th of February when the renowned Opera Boys take to the stage with their brand new 2022 show. It features timeless classics from West End shows, popular musicals and also beautiful operatic arrangements. Contact the box office for more details, 611427. Looking a bit further ahead and over in Malvern, Willie Russell's acclaimed musical Blood Brothers is being shown from Tuesday the 1st of March to Saturday the 5th. Tickets are from £33.60. More details, contact Malvern Box Office 01684 892 277. And finally, something completely different. There'll be a spring fair taking place in the medieval cloisters of Worcester Cathedral from 10am until 4pm on Saturday the 26th of February. And there'll also be a series of recitals in the nave during the day to accompany the fair. So that sounds like a lovely day out if it's nice weather. So, moving on, we'll have the main headlines uh, for the week, which will be read by Catherine, and then she'll immediately go into the first headline news story. Thanks, Pippa. So, these are the headlines. On Friday the 11th of February, a cowardly, wicked murderer. Saturday the 12th, we've lost our cheeky Leah. Monday the 14th, he died playing the game he loved most. Tuesday, 15th, ready to roll. Wednesday, the 16th, blow after blow. And today, Thursday, the 17th, woman dies in house fire. So I'm going to start with the headline story for Friday, last Friday, the 11th. A cowardly, wicked murderer. A woman has been jailed after she was found guilty of the murder of her mother. The jury took five hours, 30 minutes, to unanimously find Jessica Crane of Hillside Close Worcester guilty of the murder of her 69-year-old mother, Janet Mason. Crane had been shaking as the verdict had been read out, but showed no emotion as Judge James Burbridge QC, the honorary recorder of Worcester, told her she would be jailed for life, serving a minimum period of 12 and a half years behind bars. During sentencing, Judge Burbridge described the killing that took place at the defendant's grandmother's address, the victim's mother's address, in Green Lane, Worcester, on March the 9th last year, as a cowardly act and said Crane had told wicked lies in an attempt to defend herself during the trial. In my judgment, you are self-obsessed, the judge said. A family has been shattered. No sentence a a court could impose could ease the pain. A victim personal statement with the judge hearing from family members described Crane's actions in killing her her, barbaric and cruel. 
The jury heard during the trial that Mrs Mason was stabbed in the kitchen before stumbling to an armchair where she collapsed. After leaving the home, Crane returned and finally called 999, telling call handlers she had just attacked her mother. Crane's 91-year-old grandmother, Edith Cockell, had been in the house when her daughter, Mrs Mason, was murdered by Crane, and futile attempts were made to revive her by police and paramedics. During the trial, the jury had heard Jessica Crane had a second small knife in her pocket. In sentencing, Richard Atkins QC said she obviously made a conscious decision to pick up the bigger knife. The prosecutor said there had been significant planning of the murder. Rachel Brand QC defending offered mitigation that it had been a solitary wound and not multiple stabs and that Crane had been suicidal at the time, revealing she'd made attempts to take her life since the murder. Judge Burbridge said the sentence is life imprisonment with a minimum term of 12 and a half years. I emphasise to you and to the public that a minimum term is just that, a minimum period that cannot be reduced. There is no guarantee you will be released at the end of the period. The verdict followed a nine-day trial at Worcester Crown Court. Right, the headline for Saturday was We've Lost Our Cheeky Leah. A heartbroken city family has paid tribute to Cheeky Leah Wheatley, who has died suddenly, aged 14. Leah died following a battle with sepsis and pneumonia. Her mother, Natasha, described how she lit up everyone's life. Natasha, of Good Rest Close, said Leah was in the hospital for 11 days, but we had no idea that it would become this bad. She put up a good fight despite her obstacles, and she lit up everyone's life with her, her, her infectious smile, no matter what was going on. I left her the night before, and she seemed to be back to her cheeky self. It really has been hard to accept. Now the family is raising funds for a fitting goodbye to Leah and to celebrate her life. She was rushed to Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 23rd after becoming ill at home and died after 11 days of battling her illness. Leah was born with quadriplegia cerebral palsy and developed meningitis at six weeks old, leaving her with a severe brain damage which caused a lot of complex medical issues. She was put on a ventilator for the day after being admitted to hospital and was then transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital. Natasha said, Within a few hours it was apparent she needed other intervention, which is why she was transferred. She spent a further five days on a ventilator and made signs of improvement, which meant she could be taken off ventilation and her chest x-rays were clear. However, Leah deteriorated rapidly on February the 3rd, despite the signs of improving health, and it was found that her right lung had collapsed. Natasha said, We were told this and that there was just no coming back. Natasha, her husband Matthew, and Leah's siblings, Alicia, Georgina, Matthew, Amelia, Leighton and Darcy, have all been keeping strong and have had lots of support from those around them, said Natasha. We have been supported by everyone and we are just in disbelief. Leah is not my only child under palliative care. I have another little girl with a heart syndrome. You feel that despite the challenges, you can always protect them and be there to care for them. But now I'm just petrified that something will happen to her sister. The fundraiser is to give our little princess the send-off that she deserves. 
Everyone in attendance at the funeral will be asked to wear pink, which was Leah's favourite colour, and her favourite song, The Greatest Show, from The Greatest Showman, will be played. To donate to the fundraiser, go to https colon forward slash forward slash gofund.me forward slash, and all these letters are small case, EC58 CDA8. And the next one is on Monday, February the 14th. He died playing the game he loved most. Tributes to Kind Jack. The father of a talented young rugby player who died after being injured in a match this weekend has paid tribute to his kind and generous son. Glenn Jeffrey took to Facebook after son Jack died when he was hurt while playing for Evesham Rugby Football Club on February the 12th. He wrote, It is with great sadness that I need to let you know we lost our beloved son Jack yesterday. Jack passed away doing the thing he loved the most, playing rugby. Jack was the most kind-hearted, generous and beautiful son who enriched the lives of everyone who was lucky to know him and have met him. He will be so missed by his family and friends. Mr Jeffrey was playing for Evesham Rugby Football Club against Berkswell and Balsall in Kenilworth, Warwickshire, when he was injured while scoring a try. Despite the efforts of his teammates and paramedics, he later died in hospital. He was in his late 20s. A club statement from Evesham RFC read, It is with immeasurable sadness that we have to report the tragic loss of our beloved Jack Jeffrey following our Seniors League fixture at Barksville and Borsall yesterday, February the 12th. Jack was adding another try to his phenomenal record and during the act and subsequent challenge of scoring, he was injured. He was taken to Walgrave Hospital where he tragically lost his fight. A more committed, loyal clubman is hard to find. He would often return from London for training and was always at the heart of club activities. He served his club, his teammates and the county with distinction and provided much satisfaction to the club supporters in knowing exactly where the whitewash was. As a club, we have been overwhelmed by the messages of support and goodwill from the rugby community. Jack was calm, respected and highly thought of. Our club and community have lost such a bright light. On behalf of Evesham Rugby, I thank everyone whom supported Jack in his moment of need yesterday and for all messages of support I have received from other clubs and the North Mids Union. As a mark of respect, our club is closed today. We fly at half-mast. Please take a moment today in your prayers and take your moment of silence for Jack, his family, loved ones and friends. Worcester Warriors shared a tribute, saying the thoughts of all at Six Ways are with the family, friends and teammates of Evesham RFC player Jack Jeffrey, who tragically lost his life after yesterday's match at Barkswell and Balsall. Further tributes came in from Worcestershire County Cricket Club and RFC Worcester, whose chairman, Steve Lloyd, wrote, All at WRFC offer thoughts, prayers, love and heartfelt condolences to Jack Jeffrey, his family and friends and all at Evesham RFC. And the headline for Tuesday, February the 15th. Ready to roll. 150 million Shrub Hill project set for final sign-off. A multi-million pound regeneration of an area of Worcester Years in the making, 
is finally set to get underway. The regeneration of Shrub Hill is due to begin next month, with the 150 million project waiting for the final sign-off from the City Council. It includes hundreds of new apartments, a hotel, gym, multi-storey car park, food and drink outlets and a cinema. Stennard Harrison, Managing Director of Worcester-based Sheriff Gate Developments, which is behind the project, said, We're very excited that after many years of dedicated hard work by many people and organisations, this project, which is very dear to my heart, will, once and for all, commence this March. Shrub Hill was included as one of the major areas for regeneration in the Worcester City Centre Master Plan, and we are delighted to be bringing this to fruition in partnership with the City Council. Phase one of the site has already been cleared for work to commence on the first of 213 apartments. We have in excess of 100 men ready to uplift one of the major gateways into Worcester. Developers say the regeneration will create hundreds of new jobs as well as opportunities for people in Worcester to get on the housing ladder, with affordable housing also included in the plans. In total, 468 new homes will be built. This, according to Sheriff Gate, will bring in around £340,000 more to the city in council tax each year. Worcester MP Robin Walker said he was delighted with the news. This is regeneration that has long been needed, he said. It is a gateway into the city, which people first see getting off the train at Worcester Shrub Hill. So it's finally getting underway as good news, the MP said. I'm looking forward to seeing the jobs it creates, as well as the leisure opportunities for people in Worcester and the affordable homes. Plans were approved by councillors at a meeting of Worcester City Council's planning committee on July the 29th, when approval was given for a Section 106 agreement, meaning the developers need to put money forward for additional improvements. The overall sum of the contributions equates to a total of £4,791,158, including more than £3.7 million contribution to the Shrub Hill area. Right. Thank you, Pippa. The... Um Headline story for Wednesday, February the 16th. This is as follows. Its title is Blow After Blow. The jury of three men accused of attempted murder heard the victim suffered horrendous injuries in a ferocious attack in Wilds Lane, Worcester. Usman Multani of Westminster Road, Ronxwood, Kazim Multani, also of Westminster Road, and Shahnul Alam of Ivor Road, Spark Hill, Deny attempted murder, violent disorder and inflicting grievous bodily harm with intent. On the second day of the trial, prosecution began outlining their case against the trio. Prosecutor Peter Glenser, QC, issued a warning to the jury hearing the case at Worcester Crown Crown Court before showing them pictures of the victim's injuries. He told them victim Oweis Salim suffered a fractured skull and a bleed on the brain. The jury then saw the images taken of a gash to his face near the eye and injuries to his hand and buttock during the attack that took place at around 1am on November the 24th, 2019. Mr Glenzer said... It is the prosecution's case the Multani brothers and Shahanul Alam were part of a group of men who unlawfully caused the injuries to Awais Salim and at the time of the attack intended to kill him. 
Mr Glenzer said in the run-up to the attack there had been escalating tensions between two groups, the Multani group from Ronxwood that included Luke Bridger and a Zahid Ali group. The friction, the prosecutor said, included a number of incidents prior to the attack, including damage to a car and police being called to Luke Bridger's home with the Multani group saying Zahid Ali had tried to kidnap Mr Bridges' uncle, Jason. The prosecutor's case is that two cars, a Mercedes and a Volkswagen Golf, travelled in convoy to the scene of the attack in Wilds Lane as the Multani group seeked revenge on the Ali group. Mr Glenser said Osman Multani had left the Mercedes carrying a baseball bat while Kasim left the same car carrying a machete. He said Alum also joined in the attack with others who left the Gulf and together with the gang set upon the victim delivering repeated blows that brought the victim to the floor. Once there, they continued to deliver blow after blow with weapons, fists and feet, the prosecutor said, a way as Salim was taken by surprise. Mr Glanzer said, after initially going to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, the victim was transferred to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital and a consultant who operated on him said he was lucky to have avoided more significant brain injuries. Mr Glanzer called the attack a deliberate and organised attempt to kill the victim. The prosecutor said the intention to kill could be seen in the positions of wounds, as they had mainly been aimed at the victim's head and face, the use of weapons and the sheer ferocity of the attack. Mr Glenzer said, what else are you meaning to do when you swing a machete at somebody's head or swing a baseball bat with the force needed to cause these injuries? Michael Newport defends Usman Multani, Stella Hag Harris defends Kazim Multani and Julia Needham defends Shahanul Alam. The prosecution was set to conclude opening today. Judge Nicholas Cartwright, who's overseeing the trial, has previously told the jury they could expect it will take at least three weeks. Today's headline is as follows, Woman Dies in House Fire. A 37-year-old woman has died in a severe house fire. Firefighters rescued the woman from the terraced house, but despite efforts to save her, she died at the scene of the fire in Meadow Court, which is off Meadow Way in Droitwich, at three minutes past nine on Tuesday. Residents in nearby Meadow Way spoke of their shock at the death. One said, It's a quiet area. People keep themselves to themselves. What has happened is shocking. On social media, people paid tribute to the woman. Chloe Isabel wrote, so sad, rest in peace. While Linda Squires said, tragic, rest in peace, thoughts are with the family. At the scene yesterday, police tape had been placed across the house with officers standing nearby. The house is between a row of houses and furniture was left outside. Windows of the house on the first floor were open, the frames appearing to be smoke damaged. A West Mercia police spokesman said, We were called to a house fire at Meadow Court at around five past nine, where sadly a woman in her thirties was pronounced dead at the scene. We are now working with the fire service as we carry out investigations to establish the cause of the fire. A West Midlands ambulance smoke spokesman said, On arrival, crews discovered one patient, a woman, who had been rescued from the property by the fire service and was already receiving medical assistance. She was found to be in a critical condition and ambulance staff began administering advanced life support. However, despite everyone's best efforts, it sadly became apparent that nothing could be done to save her. 
A spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service confirmed that they had rescued the woman. Crews from Worcester, Bromsgrove and Droitwich attended, they said, as well as the incident command unit from Wire Forest. The first crew was met with a fire on the first floor of a terraced house, with one person reported missing. The fire was fought by six firefighters using breathing apparatus and two hose-reeled jets. The adjacent properties were evacuated. Despite receiving advanced trauma care at the scene and being quickly transported by ambulance, we must now confirm that the woman has sadly died. Firefighters left the scene at 2.12am. The cause of the fire is currently being investigated by our specialist fire investigation officers. A cafe at a popular eco-friendly venue near Worcester has been hit with a lowly one-star food hygiene rating. The Fold Cafe based on the site shared with shops and a nature trail off the 4103 in Bransford, was given the rating the second lowest after an inspection by Worcestershire Regulatory Services, WRS officers, on January the 18th. The rating means major improvements are necessary and is now appearing on the updated Food Standards Agency's FSA list of businesses selling food and drink. A report into the venue reveals that inspectors found major improvement was necessary in the management of food safety. This key category looks at the system or checks in place to ensure that food sold or served is safe to eat. Evidence that the staff know about food safety and the food safety officer has confidence that standards will be maintained in future. The report also said the pub standards in hygienic food handling were considered good. This category is focused on the cleanliness and condition of the facilities and building, including having appropriate layout, ventilation, hand-washing facilities and pest control to enable good food hygiene. In the category of hygienic food handling, the pub was rated as generally satisfactory. This category considers the hygienic handling of food, including preparation, including cooking, reheating, cooling and storage. The cafe was unavailable for comment. In receiving the rating, the venue joins the growing list of cities' one-star food-rated businesses, which includes Age UK, Worcester and District Lunch Club in Bilford Court, Lifestyle Express in Kilbury Drive, the Admiral Rodney at Barrow Green, Yours Pizza Bite Little India in Ronxwood Hill, AK General Foods Limited, Happy Taste in Orchard Street and O Nos O Cafe in London Road. If managers disagree with a rating or believe their business has been upgraded since receiving the rating listed on the FSA website food.gov.uk, they should contact the FSA directly. All information published is based on results on the FSA website food.gov.uk and is correct as of January the 14th, with inspections listed as the latest carried out. Cash for stores hit by street closure. Grants have been offered to help businesses affected by the closure of a building in danger of collapse. Emergency work had to be carried out on the Poundland store in Broad Street after engineers discovered it was in danger of collapse just before Christmas. Scaffolding remains in place 
and now it's been revealed that it is likely to stay in place until the autumn. The closure had seen a number of nearby shops found their trade was hit when Broad Street had to be closed. To compensate, Worcester City Council is now offering grants between £1,200 and £2,700 to businesses in the lower part of the street. This is after concerns were raised that shoppers are still being deterred by the fact that Poundland Building remains covered in emergency buttresses. Tim Evans, owner of Toys and Games of Worcester, said, The emergency road closure last year came at a crucial part of the trading calendar and whilst the scaffold remains in situ, it brings with it continuing challenges for the businesses of Lower Broad Street. We're grateful for the assistance that Worcester City Council has provided and the reassurances that the seriousness of this issue is recognised. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the Worcester City Council, said The Lower Broad Street businesses have been really hard hit by this unfortunate chain of events and I'm very pleased that we've been able to step in to provide some help to them. We have written to every trader in Lower Broad Street to set out this new grant scheme. I would urge any who have not yet responded to do so as quickly as possible so that we can get this funding to them. The money comes from the Discretionary Additional Restrictions Grant, which the government awarded to Worcester City Council to help local businesses. Burglars target charity shop. Staff and volunteers have been left upset after a charity shop was burgled and a large amount of money stolen. Police released CCTV images of two men police believe may have vital information about the burglary at Cancer Research UK on the cross. Paula Young, spokesperson for Cancer Research UK, said the charity was very upset. It's upsetting for both staff and volunteers who works extremely hard to raise money for us and for our supporters who don't donate and shop at the store. Cancer Research UK relies entirely on donations to fund its life-saving research into over 200 cancers, so we take these rare instances of theft extremely seriously. The burglary at the charity shop in the city centre happened on Thursday, January the 27th at about 10.30pm. Anyone who recognises the men or has any information or dashcam footage of the incident should contact 101, quoting reference number 22 forward slash 8807 forward slash 22 of 27th of January. Thank you, Catherine. City seat is in danger. A little bit of politics here. The Conservatives would lose their seat in Worcester if a snap election were to be held tomorrow, according to predicted figures. Statistics provided by the 2022 electoral calculus have revealed which MPs would retain their seats if Worcestershire, in Worcestershire if an election were held. Despite Worcester's seat being firmly Conservative since 2010, Labour would be predicted to win the seat with 42.4% of the vote, with the, register, with the Conservatives registering 37.5. MP for Worcester, Robin Walker, said, I've always recognised that Worcester is not a safe seat and is one that has to be worked hard on, which is why I carry on campaigning all year round and focus on delivery. I certainly never take the seat for granted and I've always recognised the work needed to secure it. In the 2019 general election, he retained his seat with a majority of just under 7,000. He received 50.8% of the votes, compared with Labour Party candidate Lynn Denham's 37.5%. 
Mike Foster, former Labour Party MP for Worcester, said there has been a turnaround in the opinion polls, which has partly been fuelled by Partygate, but also from a real concern that the PM is not fit to lead. The electoral calculus figures also show on a national level that the Labour Party have a predicted voter share of 40.2% compared with the Conservatives' 321 This prediction is based on opinion polls held between January the 12th and the 28th this year, sampling just under 20,000 people. Elsewhere in the region, the data shows that West Worcestershire would remain Conservative. Harriet Baldwin, MP for West Worcestershire, said, I continue to work hard on behalf of all my constituents and try to be a strong voice for them in Westminster. Mid Worcestershire would also remain blue, with a majority of its voters voting Conservative. MP Nigel Huddleston said, The only poll that really matters is the one on election day. I'm sure I speak for all Worcestershire MPs when I say that we're laser-focused on delivering for our constituents at all times. When the elections do come, we never take a single vote for granted. And here is a homes plan for village. A plan to build more homes in a village has been put back on the table, but has now shrunk in size. The returning plan by Custom Land for land off Bransford Road in Rushwick now contains just eight new homes, having seen a 42-home plan rejected by the council twice and thrown out by an appeal by a government planning inspector. The new plan would see eight homes built on the eastern part of the fields off Coronation Avenue in Rushwick. A statement included in the application said the landscape and heritage concerns raised by the inspector when determining the previous appeal for the 42 dwelling scheme have been addressed by this application. The appeal was primarily dismissed because of the harm caused to the setting of the Grade 2 listed Willow House and the unacceptable closing of the gap between Rushwick and Broadmoor Green. This application has addressed these concerns by reducing the scale of development and only seeking housing on the eastern part of the field, maintaining a countryside gap between the settlements and keeping an open aspect for Willow House. The controversial plan to build 42 homes in the village near Worcester was fought off several times by campaigners in as many years. By despite the opposition in the village against homes and despite Morven Hills District rejecting the plan, the homes still could have been built if the government's planning inspector overruled the council. Following the government planning inquiry, Inspector Haley Butcher said building homes on the green space would harm the character and appearance of the village and surrounding countryside. Morven Hills District Council planners had rejected the first plan in March 2018 because it was outside the village's development boundary and in the South Worcestershire Development Plan, the SWDP, and it would have impacted negatively on the character of the area. The same plan was put forward again by Custom Land Limited in 2019 and rejected for a second time by council planners. Hundreds of objections were raised against both plans, including a 400-plus petition in 2018. The proposal can be viewed via the planning section of MHDC's website. And now a story uh, to warm the hearts of any cat lovers out there. A cat believed to be one of the oldest ever seen in the county's animal rescue shelter 
could finally be getting a new home. The Worcester and Mid-Worcestershire branch of the RSPCA had launched an appeal to find a home for Morag, believed to be nearly 100 years old, in cat years, I hasten to add. Following the appeal, the charity announced Morag was reserved for adoption. An update on the shelter's Facebook page said, After an amazing amount of media coverage and offers of a forever home from around the globe, we are delighted to announce that our girl is reserved. Yes, we're hoping that Morag will be off to her new home early next week, so we decided to top off her already pretty amazing day with an early Valentine's gift from Ginger Cat Crafts. The RSPCA took in elderly feline Morag after she was signed over by her previous owner who was no longer able to care for her. She's believed to be the oldest cat ever to come into the group's care and the most mature that the RSPCA is currently caring for nationwide. The equivalent of a 100 in human years, Morag was very matted on arrival at the rehoming centre in Worcester and some of her coat had to be shaved off to make her more comfortable. But... Despite her advancing years and her slightly scruffy appearance, those caring for her say she's surprisingly lively and mobile and doesn't sit still for long. Well, best of luck to her at her new home. (laughs) Right. Um, The campaign to plant thousands of new trees in and around Worcester has received a welcome boost. Worcester CCC Captain Brett Dolivera joined Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson, in planting trees at Pitchcroft. This is part of what's called the Queen's Green Canopy, a nationwide initiative to plant new forests ahead of the Jubilee. The morning of tree planting was done to celebrate Worcester becoming a Queen's Green Canopy champion city, which was launched to celebrate cities which place trees and woodland at the heart of their plans for green space. Brett Dolavira said, It's an honour to have been invited to join the Mayor of Worcester and students from the University of Worcester for the planting of trees in recognition of Her Majesty the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson, said, It's a great honour for Worcester to be selected as a champion city as part of the Queen's Green Canopy. The city is known for its loyalty to the royal family and our reputation as a green city, one that enjoys more than 548 hectares of tree cover and nestles among some of the country's most beautiful countryside and is growing all the time. Henry Sandon, antique expert and one of Worcester's most famous residents, said, I've met Her Majesty on several occasions and I would like to give my full support to the Queen's Green Canopy as an imaginative and appropriate way to celebrate her remarkable reign. As a keen archaeologist in days gone by, I was responsible for digging a great many holes in Worcester looking for old pots. When I backfilled those holes, I never thought of sticking a tree sapling in each, and many a new building went up instead. It's good to see my oversight now being corrected, and to know that the people of Worcester will be able to enjoy many more beautiful trees thanks to this first-class initiative. Right. Fight begins to save store. We're in St John's. The fight to save the soon-to-close co-op supermarket has begun over fears it will be turned into housing. Campaigners want to make sure the co-op supermarket in Bullring, St John's, remains as retail space. There are rumours that the building, which dates back to the 1970s, could be turned into housing. Councillor Richard Udall called the store an anchor in St John's, which attracts customs for other businesses in the area. 
He's due to table a motion at Worcester City Council asking for it to remain a retail space and has set up a petition which has already been signed by 255 people. Councillor Udall said, We want to keep St John's as a retail centre and we'll try to do everything we can to keep it that way. It'll be a disaster to lose another site to housing. It will have a devastating impact on the community in St John's. The support to keep it as a retail space has been overwhelming. One of the rumours, he said, is that a housing association has bought it. I've had contact from a number of traders who are very concerned because they rely on the footfall into St John's. They want it to continue with a retail business or at least a shop frontage if we have to compromise. Staff were told in a meeting last week that the supermarket would be closing on Saturday, April the 9th. Co-op supermarkets long history in St John's um, started in the 1890s where the Pasha Everest restaurant is now. It moved to its current home on Bullring in the 1970s when it was known as Co-op Leo's. A spokesman for the co-op said, The decision to close any store is not taken lightly and only after careful consideration will our store in St John's close on the 9th of April. This is in no way a reflection on the commitment and hard work of colleagues who have been informed and who are being fully supported. And here is um, something about the cathedral being repaired. Worcester Cathedral has announced its plans for fully reopening following damage caused by Storm Arwen in November last year. During the storm, part of the pinnacle from the side of the tower fell through the roof of the Northern Choir Isle. Since then, visiting and services have been restricted to the nave and cloister. The east end of the cathedral has been completely closed, including the choir which houses King John's tomb one of the cathedral's most popular attractions. The cathedral has been displaying a scale replica of the Bad King's effigy, previously donated by the British Library in the south of the nave in recent weeks, but staff are counting down the days until visitors can once again access the real tomb, as well as the chantry of Prince Arthur Tudor, older brother of Henry VIII. In January to March, scaffolding is currently being erected in the choir to allow the organ pipes to be cleaned. The majority of the pipes will be removed, about 3,000 in total, and taken off-site for cleaning to remove dust. It's hoped that the east end of the cathedral, excluding the north choir aisle, will be cleaned and reopened for visiting towards the end of March. Work will also begin to repair the vault and roof at the main site of the damage, which will remain sealed off whilst this work is completed. As a result, accessibility will be limited to the east end as the disabled lift and access ramp are housed in this area. When repairs to the vault are completed in April to August, scaffolding will once again be erected and the organ pipes reinstalled, resulting in the choir again becoming inaccessible for a short time to facilitate this work. The ongoing work and the third part of the repair work is the carving of the new pinnacle, work which will be largely undertaken by the cathedral stonemasons. The design of the new pinnacle is currently under discussion and the cathedral hopes to engage with members of the community to produce a commemorative design marking the Queen's Platinum Jubilee year. It is hoped this work will be completed before the end of 2022. Uh, University of Worcester story here. More University of Worcester staff will be able to issue fixed penalty notices to students due to a special police accreditation.
the university recently passed a further two members of staff to hand out the tickets, raising their total number to 20 people with the Community Safety Accreditation Scheme status. The scheme gives those staff members the relevant training and the ability to hand out fixed penalty notices for such things as noise nuisance, graffiti and disorder. Tom Taylor, the university's Assistant Director of Security and Operations, said, It is important to us to work closely with the community and policing team for the benefit of both our students and the Worcester community. Since we first started to implement the accreditation back in 2011, it has proved very successful and we have expanded the scheme to include more staff over the years. This training enables our staff, particularly the 24-7 security team, to intervene where needed on issues encountered in their day-to-day work and know how to respond to those incidences appropriately. The University of Worcester is one of a limited number of universities in the country to be accredited under the Police Reform Act 20, sorry, 2002. Fergus Green, West Mercia Police's Temporary Chief Inspector for Safer Neighbourhoods in South Worcestershire, said, The aim is to nurture a sense of community within the university because it empowers the university to take a grip of some lower-level antisocial behaviour issues. Uh, Two items about things that you can attend at the Hive. Um, The first one is if if you are interested in news, and particularly regional news, as indeed we all are around this table, uh, there's an event at the Hive called Introducing Breaking the News, which will take place on Thursday, February the 24th at 7pm. A Hive spokesman said... Join James Mitchinson of the Yorkshire Post, artist and activist Rachel Horn, and former reporter Roger Lytolis for a celebration of regional news. Chaired by journalist and, and Channel 4 newsreader Fatima Manji and coming live from the stunning Central Hall at Leeds Library, this event will be live-streamed to library audiences across the UK. Explore how, as individuals, we have a voice to tell our own stories and influence a bigger picture. Also at the Hive, there is a what the headline calls, rather endearingly, a woolly bubble. And this seems to be a knitting group um, which offers time for a relaxed chat with like-minded people. Um, it seems to take place on Mondays between 11am and 12 noon to talk all things knitting. A spokesman from the event said, we'll be chatting about our latest projects, sharing handy hints and troubleshooting if you're perhaps struggling with anything or need some tips. Once you've registered for this event, you'll receive an order confirmation email from Eventbrite with details of how to join the meeting. And you can register to join next week's Woolly Bubble on the Hive's website. I shall do that. I like headlines that make you wonder what the article's going to be about, and this one is Scotsman Steaming In. The world's most famous steam locomotive is coming to Worcester this weekend. The Flying Scotsman is sure to attract crowds when it arrives at Shrub Hill Station on Saturday. There will also be plenty of chances to see it as it passes through the Cotswolds on its way to Worcester. The famous locomotive is set to depart London's Paddington Station at about 7.15 and will stop at Slough, Reading and Didcot to pick up more passengers.
It will then continue through Oxford and join the Cotswold Line at Wolvercote Junction, passing through Finstock, Cholbury and Aston under Witchwood. Now, I hope you're still with this. You ready? Continuing its journey through the Cotswolds, it will then pass through Kingham and Morton in Marsh before heading down Honeybourne Bank to Evesham, arriving at Shrub Hill Station at about 11.20. No doubt having been through Adelstrop, if there were only a station there now, which there isn't. The Fly Scotsman is set to depart Shrub Hill at 4.35 and take a different journey back to London. At the Abbotswood Junction, it will join the ex-Midland Railway route to Bristol then head south to Cheltenham, joining the Golden Valley route at Standish Junction. I used to live near there. Its return journey will take in the picturesque Stroud Valley and Sapperton Tunnel through Kemble to Swindon, where it will join the the ex-Great Western Main Line. The Flying Scotsman will be pulling steam train the Cotswold Venturer, which offers passengers two scenic railway journeys, plus plus a few hours in which to explore Worcester. The trips are organised by travel firm The Railway Touring Company. When the Flying Scotsman was here in 2019, it was held in the sidings for some of the day, but did spend some time at the platform, giving onlookers the chance to get a good look at the engine and inside the carriages. Well, this uh, story I should have included really in the What's On section, but listen up. One of the most significant classical choral works ever written is to be performed by 150 voices and a star soloist cast at a major concert in Worcester this spring, a decade after it was last heard in the city. Worcester Festival Choral Society, the region's leading large classical choir, is bringing J.S. Bach's Baroque masterwork St John's Passion to Worcester Cathedral next month. The concert, which is expected to draw an audience of several hundred music lovers, concludes the Society's historic 160th season and will also be marked by a special peal of the cathedral's bells. Composed by Bach for an Easter performance almost 300 years ago, St John Passion is a glittering musical setting of the Passion according to St John. In the work, stirring choruses and chorales from the large-scale choir represents the people and congregation, while a cast of six star soloists take individual roles. The soloists include renowned tenor Nicholas Mulroy as evangelist, who performed the role at the BBC Proms in 2017 to critical acclaim. Joining him are bass baritone James Newby as Christus, and bass baritone John Savonin as Pilatus, as well as tenor Alessandro Fisher, mezzo-soprano Sarah Denby, and soprano Angela Hicks. The Meridian Sinfonia Baroque Orchestra will accompany, with Worcester Cathedral's Director of Music, Samuel Hudson, conducting. This concert is set to be a real musical feast, said Ben Cooper, chairman of Worcester Festival Choral Society. The choruses are thrilling, the chorales are moving, and we have some of the best operatic and classical soloists in the country performing with us. We can't wait to bring this work back to Worcester after so long. Concert girls will also be in for a special extra treat on arrival at the cathedral. Worcester Cathedral's ringing master, Mark Regan, confirmed... As the audience arrives, they will be able to hear the Guild of Bellringers performing Grand Sire Caters on the half-muffled harmonic minor peal of bells, a haunting combination that is unique to Worcester Cathedral. 
the great four-ton Bordon bell, which will also be tolled at the end as a solemn scene setting for this performance. The performance is on Saturday, March the 19th at 7.30pm. Tickets priced £15 to £25 are available from wfcs.online or from Ticket Source on 0333-666-3366. Right. Uh, work is going on at a former department store on the High Street, which is set for a transformation. Contractors have been seen inside the old Debenhams on the High Street and working on the exterior of the building. The former department store will be transformed into an artisanal food hall, according to developers. People were seen working inside the building on Wednesday evening, while a cherry picker and contractors were seen working on the outside of the building earlier this week. Hammonds of Hull is working alongside Artisan Food Hall Limited to bring a unique dining experience to the city. Worcester News has con- contacted Hammonds of Hull and the ROK Group for an update, but they have yet to respond. Once finished, the store is expected to house an artisanal food hall and community-led farmers market over three or four floors, which will also include music, arts and creative spaces. In August, project manager Ian Ramsey-Smith said the high street is undergoing major changes with the COVID-19 pandemic accelerating huge shifts in the way people shop. The food hall platform offers local producers the ability to plug and play, creating a diverse offer at each location, where our focus is on the local supply chain, local labour, zero waste, local partnerships and the ability to create a vibrant community in our buildings. We're developing a unique concept of artisan food halls which focus on visual production. Combining food, retail, hospitality and culture, all of our food halls will be independent and completely unique. We don't have a cookie-cutter approach. Debenhams finally closed its doors in January last year after an announcement in December 2020 that the chain will shut all 124 of its UK stores. Okay. Worcestershire County Cricket Club is to team up with the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust as its official charity partner for 2022. The club will support the Trust's mission to raise awareness of childhood cancer, educate on early signs and symptoms, provide grants for research into the causes and treatments, and support families. The Trust's Ladybird-inspired branding will feature prominently at New Road and have a large presence across the club's official digital channels throughout the year. The Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust was founded in memory of four-year-old Grace, who died in 2014. The announcement comes as the Worcestershire-based Trust moves into new offices, the new base now including a family support hub. David Hoskins, Head of Commercial and Operations for Worcester County Cricket Club, said... We had a large amount of applications to become our official charity partner, all of which were from great causes. It's a huge honour to be teaming up with an inspiring Worcestershire charity in the Grace Kelly Cancer Trust. We have so many exciting things in store to help the Trust raise awareness and much-needed funds through the reach of our brand across Worcestershire, the Black Country and beyond. We believe we can make a significant contribution to the charity in what is an exciting period of growth for them. 
Dr Jen Kelly, CEO of the Trust, added, We are immensely grateful to Worcestershire County Cricket Club for giving the charity this wonderful opportunity. The charity's work is inspired by Grace's wish to help others and has now become the legacy of so many other children as well. We are proud that we've recently moved into new offices which contain a family support hub, meaning our growing family support team can work more closely with local families and offer therapeutic support groups as well as individual and family support. Um, A vulnerable homeless man told he's at risk of a drug-related death has been placed on a curfew after begging at Worcester races. Ben Chrysler was placed on a curfew as part of a community order, while a suspended sentence order will remain in force for breaching the terms of his criminal behaviour order, a CBO. The 37-year-old, with a care of address of St Paul's Hostel, Tallow Hill, Worcester, admitted the breach between August the 22nd and August the 27th last year. He had already indicated a guilty plea on November the 18th last year, but appeared again before magistrates on Monday for the case to be resolved. We reported last year how Chrysler, who limped into court, admitted breaching the terms of his CBO by begging by the arches near the hive on August the 22nd last year when around 2,000 people were attending the races at Worcester Racecourse. He is banned from begging by a CBO made on December the 6th, 2019 and running until December the 5th this year. Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of the hostel, wrote that Chrysler was one of the residents who is at highest risk of drug-related death and had been on and off the streets for many years. Chrysler also admitted carrying out a further offence during the operational period of a suspended sentence order made on January the 4th last year. The suspended sentence order was made more onerous to reflect the breach. He has a six-week prison sentence suspended for 15 months hanging over him. As part of a community order made by the court on Monday, the defendant must comply with certain requirements. These include an electronically monitored curfew for two months. This started on Monday, February the 14th, the day he appeared in court. He must be indoors between 9pm and 7am at St Paul's Hostel, Tallow Hill, Worcester, to include any communal areas or gardens. A drug rehabilitation requirement was also made, stipulating he must have treatment for drug dependency by or under the direction of Cranston as a non-resident for 12 months. A rehabilitation activity requirement was also made. The defendant must comply with any instructions of the responsible officer to attend appointments with the responsible officer or someone else nominated by them or to participate in any activity as required by the responsible officer up to a maximum of 30 days. He must pay a surcharge to fund victim services of £95 and cost of £50. Safer Crossing is finally on its way. Pedestrians entering Worcester City Centre via the junction of Midland Road and Newtown Road will be much safer from next month, thanks to the efforts of a city councillor. Adjacent to Shrub Hill Station and on a blind bend where Newtown Road exits from under the railway bridge, The junction is a notoriously dangerous area of the city's road network. 
Currently, there is no dropped curb to support disabled people, pedestrians or pushchairs, and lack of proper drainage causes regular issues with flooding. These problems will be resolved by the end of March, as Worcestershire County Council completes construction of a new pedestrian crossing in the area. Following several County Council sessions during which Councillor Lynn Denham raised the issue, approval was secured last September, with construction now imminent. Funding has been provided through Councillor Denham's own Highways Fund. Councillor Denham said, This is a great result for the people of the local area. Midland Road is a well-known problem location, so I'm glad to be able to have helped deliver a safe crossing. Projects that benefit pedestrians, disabled people or pushchairs are unfortunately not always seen as important by some councillors. So being able to see the crossing completed is a proud moment. Driver picks up ban number seven. A banned driver who's been disqualified six times already was not aware he was banned when stopped by police in Worcester. Aaron Adams of Lilac Avenue, Tolodyne, Worcester, admitted driving while disqualified and without insurance when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester last Thursday. The 36-year-old was pulled over in Tennis Walk on December the 1st last year. However, he was spared jail after his solicitor argued his partner would have to give up her job to look after their children were he sent to jail. Mark Sheward, defending said Adams had been disqualified in absence at the time he was stopped by police and accepted he didn't have any insurance for the vehicle. He'd driven the car around half a mile to three quarters of a mile. He described Adams as a father of two who lived with his partner and had previously worked in the construction industry. I don't think I could argue with his previous convictions that it doesn't cross the custody threshold, he said. Although Adams was not working at the moment, he'd not signed on for benefits. He's quite a proud man. He doesn't want to become reliant upon benefits. He didn't know he was disqualified. It was all done in his absence, said Mr Sheward. The ban was imposed under the single justice procedure the court confirmed. Adams said he did not receive a notice from the court. Michelle Edwards, chairman of the bench, said... You have at least six previous driving while disqualified offences on your record. You would have been aware that proceedings were taking place. The offence is so serious that only custody is appropriate. However, in light of what we've heard regarding coming coming between you and childcare responsibilities, we will suspend the sentence. They imposed a sentence of 18 weeks in prison, suspended for two years. As part of the order, he must complete 80 hours of unpaid work. He was also banned from driving for 36 months. There was no separate penalty for driving without insurance. However, his licence will be endorsed with details of the offence. Adams was also ordered to pay costs of £135. He was warned not to drive. If you do, you know what happens, said Mrs Edwards. And now a story that we've looked at a number of times before concerning special needs. 100 sign letter over special needs. More than 500 parents have signed a letter to government officials demanding action to improve support of children with special needs. SEND, which is an acronym for Special Educational Needs and Disability, National Crisis Worcestershire, has penned a letter to MPs, Ofsted 
and the CQC, which is the Care Quality Commission, voicing their lack of faith in Worcestershire children first to implement the changes needed to offer an adequate service. Coordinator of the group, Tracy Winchester, has two children with special needs and runs a support group to help parents in similar positions. She says she has personally spent around £25,000 fighting the system, but now enough is enough. We have been experiencing unlawful practice for years and it is only going to get worse before it gets better, she said. There are lots of children not getting what they need and many not even in education. The concern is that even if they, that is the WCF, were given a tonne of money, I'm not convinced we would see them implement the changes required. A report from Ofsted and the CQC in 2018 revealed significant weaknesses across 12 areas of service delivery. Returning in November 2021, the report released in January said that they found that progress had not been made in four areas, all of which relate to the delivery of special educational needs services. The letter lists 13, quote, unlawful and inappropriate, quote, practices experienced by SEND members. Failure to secure school placements, poor communication and extended timescales for an education, health and care plan are just some of the concerns listed. Numerous counsellors, solicitors and health professionals have also signed the letter. It closes with... There is a widespread culture at WCF of delaying tactics, unlawful practices and treating parents and carers as adversaries. We cannot wait for change any longer. We have no faith in WCF to deliver what is needed and we require your intervention and detailed oversight as a matter of urgency. Worcestershire County Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member for Education, has apologised for the failure of the service on behalf of the Council and WCF. He added, we acknowledge that our special educational needs services have been of insufficient quality and we understand the negative impact that this has had on a number of families. Following the recent re-inspection by Ofsted and Care Quality Commission, we have produced an accelerated progress plan to address the four specific areas of weakness where we have not made sufficient or significant progress. Tina Russell Chief Executive Officer of Worcestershire Children First said, I am committed to making the progress needed and at pace in our SEND services. And this is another thing about trees, but this time why axe so many trees? Questions have been raised about why so many trees have been cut down to make way for Keepax Bridge. That's the new footbridge across um, opposite Gellivelt Park. Contractors have been cutting down trees and vegetation on at Gallivelt Park in preparation for the new footpath and cycle bridge. However, there have been questions raised over why trees have been removed away from the riverbank. Resident Steve Dunn-Massey wrote to the Worcester News. Would the council please explain why a section of trees in the centre of Gallivelt Park extension have been removed? I know some trees had to be removed by the river in preparation for the new Keepax Bridge, but these are in a different area. This area of the park was just beginning to look quite mature until today. Keepax Bridge will be built across the River Severn, providing a link between St John's and Barbourne's Gellivelt Park near to the Pump House Environmental Centre. Worcestershire County Council explained the trees were being removed for work to mitigate floods. 
Almost 30 trees and sections of vegetation are being removed from the fields surrounding the pump house. Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Minister with responsibility for highways and transport, said the removal of the trees in this area is part of the planned works taking place in preparation for the construction of Kipax Bridge. These trees have been removed to allow for some landscaping that is required to provide flood mitigation and is standard practice for a scheme of this kind. Replanting will follow the construction of the bridge. The work is taking place now to avoid the bird nesting season, with plans to replace the plants later in the project. An innovative hip resurfacing procedure designed and manufactured near Worcester is going global following an entrepreneurial business partnership. Joint Medica, owned by the McMinn Group, is based at Ball Mill Top Hallow, where it designs and produces orthopaedic implants. Now, Exotech Inc., one of the largest orthopaedic companies in the world, has acquired shareholdings in Joint Medica, along with the international distribution rights to the company's pioneering polymotion hip resurfacing. Andy McMinn, CEO of the McMinn Group, said, I wanted to build, quite literally, on the foundations of my father, Professor Derek McMinn's legacy and involvement within the orthopaedic industry. When the opportunity came along to buy the controlling interest in Joint Medica a couple of years ago, I saw it as an opportunity to broaden our portfolio of investments, allowing us to attract serious international interest and investment in our local community. Terence Smith, Managing Director of Joint Medica, added, Using Exactech's global distribution network, our recent partnership allows us to establish our business internationally, not only attracting new customers, but, importantly, nourishing and reaffirming our company's reputation and credibility as the go-to orthopaedic research and development partner. Through business diversification, former Royal Grammar School Worcester student Andy McMinn has spent the past decade expanding his business concerns beyond its origins in construction and property development. The McMinn Group now has commercial interests across real estate, orthopaedic research and development, engineering, construction machinery and logistics. This is good news for the local job market, as Andy intends to remain in Worcester. He said, Despite the recent partnership with our friends in sunny Florida, we have no plans to move our operations. Worcestershire is home and always will be. We've launched a broad recruitment plan. Our preference is to hire locally where possible. And here's something to look forward to in August. Singer Sir Tom Jones will be bringing his 2022 tour to Worcester. The veteran singer has confirmed he will perform an extra summer concert at Pitchcroft on Saturday, August the 13th. It's an extra date, with Sir Tom also set to play Bits Park in Carlisle on Sunday, July the 24th. Fans will have the chance to sing along with the Welsh star during his Surrounded by Time summer gig. Fans can pick up tickets when they go on sale tomorrow, Friday. A spokeswoman for the event said, The picturesque venue of Pitchcroft is situated in the centre of Worcester and celebrates all that's amazing about the city and its residents. 
Home of the Worcester Show 2022 marks a special year with special themes to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. It's therefore an honour to welcome Sir Tom Jones to our hearts as part of his long-anticipated 2022 Surrounded by Time tour. It promises to be an unforgettable night in Worcester. We know it will be one epic party night, with the one and only Sir Tom Jones singing both his classic and newer material. It's been a busy couple of years for Sir Tom, having released a new album and continuing his television commitments. Sir Tom released a brand new album, Surrounded by Time, which topped the UK charts, and he continues in his role as coach and mentor on the latest series of The Voice, alongside Ollie Moores, Anne-Marie and William. Tickets will be available from, and I'm going to take this rather slowly, as you might well be interested. All one word coming up, Liz Hobbs Group. That's L-I-Z-H-O-B-B-S-G-R-O-U-P dot com forward slash what's on, that's what's hyphen on, forward slash event, forward slash 2022, hyphen 07, hyphen 24, hyphen Tom, hyphen Jones, hyphen surrounded, hyphen by, hyphen sound, hyphen Carlisle, hyphen Worcester. Good luck if you're looking for a ticket. (laughs) That's a lot of hyphens. Right, I've got another steam engine story now. Um... A steam locomotive will get a royal makeover to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and the Commonwealth Games. To mark the occasion, Seven Valley Railway will be repainting and renaming one of its, it says trains here, but I'm sure it means engines. The engine, formerly known as 34027 Tor Valley, will be given a new purple livery. This is about making the biggest impact possible, said SVR chairman Mike Ball. We're putting a huge amount of effort into our celebrations for both the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and the 2022 Commonwealth Games, which of course are being held in Birmingham. We're sure that the unusual appearance of the loco will prove a huge draw to visitors. The new name will be chosen by public vote. Almost 1,200 entries were received and a shortlist will be put to the public vote. The winning name will then be cast onto authentic nameplates, which will be affixed to the engine. Unfortunately, this will only be a temporary change, with the SVR planning to restore the locomotive to its original name and BR Green livery later in the year. SVR's Head of Engineering Martin White said Tor Valley is booked in for its annual boiler exam in early February and following its steam exam will enter the paint shop at Bridge North. We expect to have the repaint completed by early April. In all fairness, the loco was starting to look a little weather-beaten. With three years still to run on its boiler ticket, a smart nut was a good idea. And to avoid further deterioration and to enable maximum use of the loco. The loco's owners are in full support of the idea. I suppose that's as well, really. Speaking on their behalf, SVR director Phil Swallow said, The name and repaint will be a very fitting and memorable way to celebrate two extremely important occasions this year. Ultimately, this is a hugely fun thing to do. And while it might upset some people, it will contribute significantly to our celebration of these important events and will attract many visitors to the Seven Valley Railway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Work on the 
One of the county's biggest road-building projects is still on track to be finished this year. Thank goodness for that one. A new aerial view of Carrington Bridge and the work going on around it has been shared by Worcestershire County Council. The Southern Link Road, being between M5 and the Poic Roundabout, is having work done on it between the Ketch and Poic Roundabouts, with tra- traffic now using the opened extension of Carrington Bridge and the new road along Teamside Way. Work to duel the road between the two roundabouts is ongoing, as well as on the new underpass at the Ketch Roundabout. The viewpoint near that roundabout and improvements to the cycling and footpath routes north of Teamside Way and various pieces of ongoing work. Councillor Alan Amos, Worcestershire's County Council Cabinet member with responsibility for highways and transport, said this is an incredibly important scheme to enable improved journey times and enhanced connectivity for pedestrians and cyclists in and around Worcester. It's a key infrastructure project for the council and it's great to see the works progressing so well. A huge amount has already been achieved and I look forward to seeing the scheme fully operational. A number of milestones have already been reached in the work, including the completion of the duelling between the M5 Junction 7 and the Ketch Roundabout. In addition, three new road crossings have been installed at the Crookbarrow Way Broomhall Way and Hams Way. The Battenhall Railway Bridge has also been extended to accommodate the additional lanes and a replacement farm bridge has been installed. Other newly finished work includes the upgrade of Norton Roundabout, the introduction of a flood compensation area and the construction of a new embankment between Carrington Bridge and Poic Viaduct which will take westbound traffic once Teamside Way is fully operational. Right, and the last uh, general news story for today is aptly about Worcester News. Well, the old building where it used to uh, take place, or used, where the offices used to be. The refurbishment of a city landmark has reached an interesting new phase. This week saw the former Worcester News office in Hilton Road given a surprising new purple look. This is while weatherproofing is being installed at the site, which was taken over by the University of Worcester in 2020. In the latest phase of the work, weatherproofing for the walls of the site, which will be used as a medical training centre, has been put in place. That explains the new purple look, though the building is intended to have gold cladding on the outside when finished. Construction work is ongoing as the former Barrows House is transformed into a brand new training centre for nurses and doctors. It is hoped that when the facility is up and running, staff will go straight into the region's NHS. The idea for the new training centre is to provide health staff for Worcestershire, Herefordshire and Gloucestershire, with the three counties suffering from a lack of staff. Barrows House was home to the Worcester News from 1965 until 2020, when it was bought by the university. Plans for the renovation, drawn up by Midlands-based Glancy Nichols architects, include a state-of-the-art anatomy laboratory, a suite of GP simulation rooms and a range of general seminar and teaching rooms. There will also be offices, breakout spaces for group study and a cafe. While training in Worcester, students will carry out 
on-the-job learning in the region's health service with the aim of making Worcester a centre of medical training. So we'll move seamlessly now on to uh, a short number of sports stories. Catherine, if you'd like to kick off. Mm. All right. <clears throat> well, this is sport in the sense that it's about a football match, but it's rather a link with the general news stories. Pershore Town have been subject to an FA investigation following an incident during their Worcestershire FA Senior Cup semi-final 3-2 win at Redditch United on Monday, February the 7th. The incident, in which a smoke bomb was thrown from where the Pershaw fans were congregated <clears throat> behind the goal at a group of Redditch fans in the corner, was reported by the referee at the time. It occurred following Josh Will- Willis's penalty in the first half to make the scores one all. The smoke bomb was thrown and then thrown back by the Redditch fans in the corner. The Plums eventually went on to win the game 3-2 and reach the final of the Cup, where they will play Worcester City. The club released a statement on their website on Thursday, February the 10th, saying, Pershaw Town would like to confirm that we have worked closely with the Worcestershire FA and Redditch United, following an incident during Monday's Worcestershire Senior Cup semi-final at the Trico Stadium. Following a quick, thorough and decisive investigation by the board of Pershaw Town, and with the help of footage obtained from Redditch United, we have been able to inform the FA of the culprit. As a football club, making huge strides to thrive within our community, we do not condone this sort of behaviour, and actions from within will be taken. Some cricket now. Pride in Moeen. County and England coach Richardson, proud of rapid skipper for match-winning displays. Alan Richardson has revealed the pride he felt in seeing firsthand the match-winning performances and captaincy of Worcestershire Rapids Vitality Blast skipper Moeen Alley when on England duty in the West Indies. Worcestershire assistant coach Richardson was England's bowling coach for the five-game series and he witnessed some superb contributions from Moeen who led his country for the final three matches in Bridgetown. He said, Mo had literally 20 minutes notice of the first game he captained, but he just took it in his stride as he always does. The guys responded to him very well. He is very calm and gives the lads a lot of confidence and plays cricket in the right way. He really enjoyed those opportunities and played exceptionally well in a couple of games and was a match winner for England. Richardson was delighted to receive further international recognition after a spell working with England last summer and says it can only help him to evolve as a coach. He said, I'm still quite young in my coaching career and to have that opportunity to be in that environment, working with those coaches and support staff and the players in an international environment is a huge development for me. I see it as an opportunity for me to keep working at trying to get better at being a coach and to have that opportunity was amazing. And here's one about um, Worcester Warriors. Their injury problems are beginning to stack up ahead of Friday night's Gallagher Premiership clash with Bristol Bears at Six Ways. The most worrying one happened Cardiff with Scotland prop Rory Sutherland suffering a suspected fracture rib and Steve Diamond confirmed he would likely be out for about three, four to four to six weeks. Sorry, stop that again. Suspected rib and Steve Diamond confirmed he would likely be out for between four to six weeks. He came off in the defeat to Wales on Saturday and is set for scans, but the fear is he'd be out for a number of weeks. 
Last weekend's 36-12 defeat at Sale Sharks seems to have been a brutal one physically, with no less than four new injury concerns. Three back rowers came off, leaving a potential headache for boss Steve Diamond. Sam Lewis returned from a dead leg up in Salford but lasted only 20 minutes before having to come off to be replaced by Kyle Hatherill. He then too took a knock in the second half and had to be subbed. Tom Dodd was then helped off the pitch in the dying moments of the game to further limit options in the back row for Diamond. Captain Ted Hill also took a knock to the back but that does not seem to be anything too serious. While Hatherall's shoulder injury is not thought to be serious, Dodd is facing a scan and could be out for some time, while Lewis is waiting for updates after suffering a dead leg. Midfield is another position of worry for Diamond, with five centres, Ollie Lawrence, Ollie Morris, Will Butler, Francois Venter and Owen Williams all sidelined. Academy star Seb Atkinson could make his full debut this weekend against Bristol. But there's some positive news as Scotland winger Duhan van der Merl will be returning to Six Waves this weekend to play. And football news now. Sticky patch for Worcester City. Manager Tim Harris admits Worcester City will have to produce a near-perfect run-in to the end of the season if they're to make the playoffs after another defeat at the weekend. Walsall Wood inflicted a fourth league defeat in five Midland Football League Premier Division matches for City last Saturday, as a flurry of first-half goals eventually saw Wood win 4-3, leaving the hosts a point outside the top five. Despite two late goals from his side, it was not enough to salvage a point, and now Harris knows it's an uphill battle from here to finish in the top five places. Unless we put 11 wins together, we aren't going to make it. And that's a massive alarm call for us, he said. A lot of thought needs to go into next week and a lot of things need to change on the pitch in terms of our performances. But we have to still aim for the playoffs. We handled the first half of the season really well. But to say we're in a sticky patch right now is an understatement. Unless we start winning matches, we can write ourselves off. And that would be a massive disappointment after what we've done so far. The defeat was worsened with the injuries to both left-back Sam Witten and top goalscorer Bailey Fuller. The injuries are coming thick and fast for City, but Harris won't be using it as an excuse. It's not looking good on both fronts, to be honest. Both players, Sam and Bailey, went to hospital for x-rays after heavy challenges, and that's now another problem we're going to have to deal with. It's not been easy, but it certainly won't be an excuse. We have players here who can do a lot better than what they have at the moment and that's not good enough. We have to dust ourselves down. We have a week until the next game, which could be a good thing, but let's not forget that we had a good win against Kidderminster in midweek and played well then. So hopefully we can get some injured players back and we can get back to winning ways next week at home to Halmond. Well, best of luck to them. I don't know if I've said that right, but it's spelt H-A-U-G-H-M-O-N-D for anyone who knows their sport. Right, well, that is the sport for the week. And we will move on to the, first of all, the sunrise and sunset times. Uh, The sun rose this morning at 7.18am. That's Thursday, 17th of February. And the sunset tonight is at 5.26pm. 
onto the birthday file. Well, I'm looking at this file and, you know, it would appear that none of our listeners were born nine months ago because we don't seem to have any birthdays in February. Well, there's some in, yeah, none in February, but I'm going to wish one of our readers a very happy birthday for tomorrow. Phil, have a lovely birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. And on that note, Phil is going to read the thought for the week. So if you'd like to do that. Mm. No, sorry. Begin again. Phil is not going to do. I'm sorry. I gave it to to Jane. I'm so sorry. It's all right. No, No, it's fine. fine. I'm sorry to say this, but I think you could do the birthday one again because you said nobody seems to have been born nine months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm a bit hot. Turn this off. Sorry, John. This is this is your birthday. Are you sure you want to stay with us? <laughs> You're positive, aren't you? Yeah, it is the penalty for, you know, arriving late. We're all in a tither. How far, how far away is your... Do you want to leave now and we can do the deaths without you? <laughs> I don't know how far away well, it is for you to I'm get to. I'm round in Clare Street. Oh, yes, yes. Well, it's about seven minutes' walk, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah take about right. eight um, minutes yeah, to do yeah, the obituaries. Is that OK? Yeah, yeah. OK, can we go back to the birthday? I'm so sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even notice the two Yeah, yeah just, I, I was gabbering, wasn't I? I'll shall, just... we, shall we come out of the football story and then <laughs> okay. take it from there? Yeah. What did I say in the football story? I didn't write it down. All oh, right, I'll just say that's the end of the foot. Do I need to say that's the end of the foot? Then you need to do the times. The yeah, I've got the. Yeah. yeah, something like that. So unprofessional. I'm so sorry. Right. So that's the end of the sport for this week, and I will give you all the sunrise and sunset times. So the sun rose today on Thursday, the 17th of February at 7:18 a.m. And it will be setting tonight at 5.26 p.m. Moving on to the birthday file. Unfortunately, we don't have any listeners um, with birthdays coming up. But we have a reader whose birthday it is tomorrow. So I'd like to wish Phil a very happy birthday for tomorrow. And on that note, Phil will do the thought for the week for us. I will. And it's from Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 and 23 to 24. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for a 150 days. Thanks, Phil. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank uh, my readers. So that's Catherine. Goodbye. Phil. Bye. And Jane. Goodbye. And John is waving from the other side of the glass. And thank you, John, for your engineering skills for today. That's it then. I wish everyone a happy week and see you in a four weeks' time. All being well. Goodbye. And here are the obituaries for this week. Iris May Connellan, aged 90, passed away peacefully in hospital. A funeral service to celebrate Iris's life has already taken place. Wisdom Hoskins, known as Bill, passed away on January the 29th, 2022, aged 93 years. 
The funeral service will be at the Vale Crematorium, Flatbury, on Thursday, March the 3rd at 12 noon. Family flowers only. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Sheila Joan Moss passed away peacefully at home on the 31st of January 2022. Her funeral service will be at St George's Catholic Church on Friday the 18th of February at 12.45pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Adrian Michael Prodger, known as Aid, passed away on the 18th of January 2022. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 18th of February at 10.45am. Smart casual dress, please. No black by request. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Midlands Air Ambulance or MIND may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Tony Beverly Grinnell passed away on the 31st of January. The funeral service and burial will be held at the Church of St Mary, Doverdale, Worcestershire, on Wednesday the 23rd of February at 1pm. Doria Michael, formerly of St John's, passed away on January the 29th. The funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Friday, March the 4th at 1pm. All inquiries please to co-op funeral care, telephone 01905 22137. Beryl Charit nay Fox passed away on the 2nd of February. Funeral will be held on March the 1st, which is a Tuesday, at 11.30 at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations to St Richard's Hospice. Alistair William McCreeth passed away on the 30th of January. The funeral in Worcestershire on 24th of February 2022, followed by a memorial service in London later in the year. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the BBA in his memory. All inquiries to E.J. Gummery and Son, telephone 01905 22094. Llewellyn Allen Joseph died peacefully on Saturday, February the 5th, 2022, aged 93 years. Donations in Annam's memory are invited for Cancer Research UK. These are to be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors Pershaw, WR10 1HZ, and his funeral service will be held at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Monday, February the 28th, 2022, at 2pm. Sheldon Elizabeth passed away on February the 11th, 2022. Funeral service on Friday, March the 4th at 12.15pm at Worcester Crematorium. Donations to Thymic Cancer UK. Family flowers only. Taran Inez Florence, known as Ina of Peopleton. 
February the 14th, 2022, aged 96 years. Funeral service at Peopleton Church, Thursday, February the 24th at 1pm. Family flowers only. Donations for Royal National Lifeboat Institution may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR101HZ. Probin, jo- Tony George, peacefully at home, January the 12th, 2022. Of St John's, Worcester. Family and friends are invited to join us in remembrance and celebration of Dad's life on what would have been his 85th birthday at the Winning Post, formerly Pope Iron Inn, at 6 Pope Iron Road, Worcester, WR13HB, on Sunday, June the 26th, from 1pm to 3pm. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to St Richard's Hospice. Alice Patricia Lloyd, known as Pat, sadly passed away on Tuesday the 1st of February, aged 88. Service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday 10th of March at 2.30pm, followed by a gathering at the county ground, Worcester. No flowers, but donations if desired for Pancreatic Cancer UK may be left in the donation box. Ivy Doris Smith died peacefully at her care home on the 2nd of February, aged 92. Funeral service at St John in Bedwardine Church, Worcester, on Wednesday the 23rd of February at 11.15am. Family flowers only. If desired, donations to RNLI or Royal Osteoporosis Society may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. A collection box will also be available at church. Cheques payable to Ivy's chosen charities or to FW Spilsbury charity account. Terry Woodfield, XBT engineer, passed away peacefully at home on the 30th of January, aged 79. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 22nd of February at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but to donations if desired for the RNLI may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU.